for women and for girls, this unspoken belief that we can't bring our whole self to anything. Or culturally, we have strengths that are seen as too much, we're too assertive, we're too bossy, we're too in control, we're too much, too much, too much, too much, and we have to dial ourselves back. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I am super excited to have a guest on today who is an expert in teams, all things teams, building leaders of teams, helping teams become more productive, communicating within teams and growing teams, which is really, quite frankly, about growing people. She has the depth of experience to call her an expert in this field, having coached soccer for 20 plus years at the collegiate level, high school level, and club levels, all three. Although she focuses now mostly on helping athletes, she helps them reach and exceed their personal goals. She also works with educators and corporate groups as well. She has some unique tools that she brings to the table, including circle work and some special personality assessments, which I can't wait to dig into. So join me in welcoming Molly Grisham. It's so good to have you on the Unstoppable Woman podcast, where we're all about reaching our goals, closing the gap on time and reaching our goals faster than we ever thought possible. So welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about our conversation today. Okay. So my first question, I love that you're here. My first question, as we were just chit-chatting about a little bit before going live here, is that you quit your fabulous job and you became an entrepreneur. And I want to know everything about that because, because so many of my listeners, some of them are already in their own business. They run their own business. The majority of them are, but there are a lot of people who are doing a side hustle or they're trying to start something. Um, they don't know whether to pull the trigger, whether to go. Like, I want to hear, like, how long were you thinking about transitioning to doing your, your own gig? What your thinking process, your thought process on was on that and what, what eventually helped you pull the trigger on it? Yeah, it's, a, it's an important conversation to have because we are always coming up in these transitional moments in life. And how do we want to respond to those? So for me, I spent most of my twenties coaching high school and club soccer. I was teaching at a two-year college at the same time and um, knew that I really loved coaching and just kind of kept working my way up the ranks and then hit my early thirties and wrestled with that question of what's next. And so packed up, left uh, the community that I had been in for almost 10 years, sold my house and went into the college game and immediately loved being a college coach, um, which shouldn't surprise me. I was teaching at the college level and, and coaching uh, soccer, but just at a little bit different level and loved it right away and really, really embraced the opportunity to have an impact and to have influence on young adults at such a pivotal age in their lives. At 18 to 22 years old, I know I knew nothing at that time in my life. I was figuring a lot of things out. And, and so a, an athletic coach really has a significant amount of influence in their lives. And so as I progressed in that journey, what I came to realize was what I loved the most about coaching was developing my players as people. And unfortunately, at the college level, that's really a small percentage of your job description. You're recruiting a lot, which means you're not on campus. You're off at events recruiting athletes, and you're doing admissions visits and fundraising and compliance meetings and alumni relationships. And I, I started to think about, okay, when do I get to really invest in my people that I'm spending so much time recruiting? When do I get to actually spend time with them? Um, so that was a question that was in the back of my mind. The other question I was really wrestling with was, what would happen if we were really intentional about developing our players as leaders? And what would happen if we were really intentional about developing our team culture? And so probably the last eight years of my coaching career, I infused that into my job. I figured if it wasn't in my job description, I would just add that as my other duties as assigned. And so I got into what's called the experiential learning cycle. And I really used my team like a research and design lab. I would say, team, come on, we're going to get together. We're going to do this activity and we're going to process it. 
and we're going to see if we can be better. And I'm going to meet with my leaders one-on-one every week and see if it even makes a difference. And of course it made a difference. Investing in people always makes a difference. So that's one so of I noticed questions too- for you, Molly, is yeah. when you were doing your, your soccer coaching, how much of the time were you doing now? What's really interesting is like all those first things that you said that you were doing, that's all sales. Like you were selling the players on coming. Like I'm constantly talking to my clients about like, you got to learn sales. Like sales is what moves money, but sales is what influences people to, to do things, to make decisions. Um, so that was fascinating. But I, my question before I heard you say that, how much of your coaching was on the tactical skills? Like here's how to do X, Y, and Z and get better at it on the field. And how much of it was this inner game piece, right. the mindset, the personal development? Like if you had to pick like a percentage split, yeah. what, where would you go with that? Well, I think early in my career, we are taught how to teach the X's and O's. I mean, if, if you do coaching education, that's what you're taught. I quickly began to infuse that personal growth and development, not just into the on-field training, but how are we utilizing our, our time off the field? And so making sure I've got to meet with my leaders regularly. We have to have conversations around culture. Um, I, I remember there was a really clear shift, probably the last four to five years where I stopped talking about discipline or rules and we started talking more about what are our values and what are our culture. And so when the issue would come up, it wasn't flip to this page in your binder. Don't you see right here? It says, we don't do that. It was, let's pull up our one page about our culture and let's talk about how this decision does or doesn't reflect our culture. Uh, And so it was, it, it steadily became less and less about the X's and O's and more and more about the personal growth and development. And how did that affect the game? Oh, right. Because like my, my people are all like, yeah, bring it on. Let's, let's do the inner work, but they want that bottom line revenue generation. Like let's quantum leap your income kind of thing. So on the field of play, did it, did it transform? Yeah. And that was my question. Like, okay, so let's, let's do this almost like a science experiment. I have this hypothesis. I think if we invest in our leaders and invest in our culture, it will make a difference. But the only way to find out is to do it. So we start making this transition in my programs of being really intentional about it. And I noticed two things right away. One was we did become more competitive. Now that doesn't mean we won every game, but we were closing the gaps. We were competing in ways we hadn't competed before. And I attribute that to the fact that because our team leaders, and when I say leaders, I meant everybody on our team, but because our team leaders were more equipped with a skill set to deal with the little stuff, as coaches, we could teach the game at a higher level. When we were at practice, we could teach the X's and O's at a high level because we weren't having to deal with, oh my goodness, those two aren't getting along today. And I heard there's tension about this and there was misunderstanding and there's conflict because our team leaders were equipped to deal with that stuff before it became a big issue. But the second thing that I noticed that I think is equally important, and this this transcends all industries, is we simply had more fun together. And and again- There wasn't that energy sap on the miscommunication, the hurt feelings, the the perspective wonk, right? It was just like, you're all on the same page, you're having a blast and you you get it done better. I love it. Yeah. And, and, and we all have the skills to navigate those difficult moments that come up. It doesn't mean that we didn't have challenges. Sure. We had challenges, but we had the skill set to deal with it. And then we also had a foundation of this is what our values are. So this is how we respond in those moments. And so when I, I say this often, when you can find a place that is highly competitive, meaning people are good at what they do and they love each other, unpack your boxes. Like you don't want to go anywhere, stay there. And and that's what we began to create in our programs. We were becoming more competitive and having a whole lot of fun in the process. I got two follow-up questions for you there. So first, what do you think the translation is of that to some, my peeps, they're either working in a team themselves you know, if they haven't left their, their corporate job, they're on a team in a corporation or they're managing. I have many high level managers who are managing people on teams or they run their own business and they have, you know, six, seven, eight 
20 people that they are, you know, not just, not just looking at as staff, but we talk about them as team, your team. And, and how would you say that what you taught on the field mm -hmm. translates to the work environment? Well, there's no question that a, a healthy work environment changes the quality of anyone's life. And, and so we, when we manage teams, lead teams, or are a part of teams, have the opportunity to influence the quality of someone's life. This is not just their nine to five that we're influencing. So I'm a big believer that so much of our tension, and, and we can compare this to a toddler that has a temper tantrum. They have a temper tantrum because there's something they want or need and they don't know how to communicate it. So they have this meltdown. Yeah. Well, we as adults do that a whole lot. <laughs> it just shows up in different ways. We don't know how to navigate this path that's in front of us. We don't have the skills that we need to navigate it. So it starts to show up in some really horrible ways. And so- Let's talk about that. What are the horrible ways that it shows up? Like, because you know, one of the things that I love to do with my clients is like, here's where you want to go. That's the big dream and desire. But what happens if you don't do it? What's the, the, the nightmare of your life? Because we're motivated by both like our desire for our, our pleasure centers, like what we want and our fear centers, like the pain of the pain has to be so high, like, and yeah. you have to recognize yeah. it, that you change and become the person who does the thing. Otherwise yeah. you're going to stay in the abyss. But if you don't know that you're staying in the abyss or, or what the negative consequence is, you can spend the next 20, 30 years, not making a change in your life. So right. Talk to me about what some of those like yeah. big nightmare situations are. So, so big picture, I would say we're stuck. We're just stuck as a group. We're, we're in what I would just call the spin cycle. We're just doing the same stuff over and over and it's producing the same results. Um, I, I would say in general, it is toxic relationships. And that is rooted a lot in, I don't feel seen, heard, known, and valued by people on my team. It could be by my leader. It could be by my teammates, but I don't feel like I am really seen, heard, known, and valued. And, and so then that creates, we've all been in these situations where instead of going and talking to the person I really need to talk to, I talk to everybody else about it, which solves nothing. Um, it reduces the output in, in our work life. There's no question about it because we're spending all this energy focusing on other things. And so when we improve the quality of our relationships, our work output, no question about that, uh, gets so much higher because we know then that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And when we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, the sky's the limit. Um, yeah. So I would say that the number one issue is the quality of the relationships that we have in our work environments. Yeah. And that's a day-to-day feel-good you know, result on the positive side, and it can be just horrific on the, the downside. One of the things Absolutely. that I have in my, like when we're going through the hiring process and we're bringing people on, I'm like, this is a no drama yeah. company. Like if you have something doors open, like, and, and that I find that that's really, it's both really important and it's still challenging to communicate because I have high expectations and high standards and people, people know that. And I think the, the standards that I set, not that I'm belligerent about it or anything, but that, you know, I have high standards. I think that that can make people feel like the doors shut, like they can't bring something to the table because it's scary or something like that. Right. But I have a, like no drama, no gossip. Like if, if something's going on, just come to me. Right. How would you, how would you coach someone like me who has done so much inner work that like, I don't actually see, um, like I, I'm just, I, I I'm a straight shooter. I'm super clear. Like I never think that someone might be intimidated by that. And yet mm -hmm. people are intimidated by that and, yeah. and it closes a door and it kind of creates, um, I don't think it's created any problems like egregious problems, but I, I have noted, oh, that's interesting. I'm hearing that third hand instead of directly, not, not gossiping, but like through their manager or something like that. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And part of that is of course, chain of command, but um, 
how would you, how would you coach someone who has a small team? You know, we're a team of eight. Um, mm-hmm. And with, with the idea of like, you want exacting standards, like as a coach, you want them to win the freaking championship, right? Like right. you're going, right. you're competitive, right? You're going all out, right? right. Um, with like, um, I'm going to say something that might be a little bit denigrating, but I don't have a better word for it, but like a kumbaya atmosphere, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Personal responsibility, high standards, running your, running your role and and really encouragement and feeling good and, and, and being seen and heard and listened to. Talk to me yeah. about that. So I think the first phrase I would use with, with that kind of leader, who's like, how do, how do we do, I've done the work, but how do we do this? Is this idea that we are all at our best when we can bring our whole self to work. Yeah. And so for you, as someone who's done that interpersonal work, you're already doing that because you've worked through your whole self. And so you understand that integration process of bringing your whole self to your work. But for someone who hasn't done that process, that's really scary of what can I say? And do I have to compartmentalize? And what do I have to check at the door? But when we create these environments where people can bring their whole self to work, it changes everything. So I can give you a, a tangible example. Um, I was working with a group and I was told on the front end, these two guys hate each other. Don't put these two guys in a small group together. Uh, they, it's just gonna be disastrous, but we want everything to be together, but just keep these two separate. They can't stand each other. And I thought, well, that's well, not gonna be thrown down the, the gauntlet. <laughs> you know, I'll take so, that. So so I put those two guys together Um, and what we did was an exercise where they really had to get to know each other on a deeper level. And what we found out was these two guys had a whole lot in common. Um, One was older, one was younger, but grew up in very similar unhealthy family environments and had a lot of the same pain points and a lot of unprocessed stuff in their lives. And as they were working together and kind of mirroring back to each other what they were hearing and seeing, they start to realize we're the same person. (laughs) We have a whole lot of common ground, but it was almost like we took two magnets and you know how you, you put them together and they repel each other. That's the relationship that these two people had had. And it wasn't until we gave them hands-on tools and processes to really examine who they were and who the other person was that they started to find that common ground. Now, if you've done your interpersonal work, that sounds really exciting to you. If you've never done it, that's really scary because you're seeing yourself for the first time and you want you're in a context or an environment where it's safe to be seen for the first time. And when it happens for a group, it's magic uh, to be in an environment where you can bring your whole self to that space and your whole self to work. Everybody wins when that happens but it, it can be really scary the first time you go through that. Are you a fan of the classic team building exercises? No. So many times, you know, I used to work in corporate many, 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 many years ago, and we would do these team building exercises and you could tell, I was always gung ho cause that's just the personality type that I have. But um, you could tell that there were so, such, um, you know, a, disdain for the the process and just almost distress distrust with it um so i'd love to hear your take on that yeah so my process um is different i I am hesitant with the the stereotypical trust fall so you bring a group together and we say there's no trust so i want you to stand on this table and fall backwards and we'll catch you and now there's trust all we did that day was fall off a table backwards and we thank goodness didn't drop you that day that didn't build trust so my work is really what i would call an experiential facilitator so i do come in with a group and we do activities but they're not trust fall type activities they're more like puzzles or challenges and what i'm trying to do in that moment is replicate what is happening in the workplace, but in a safe and fun environment. So if you were to say to me, my my team has zero communication skills, it's really becoming a limiter. I would come in and do some activities that require communication for us to be successful. And because we're doing that in a safe, fun environment, all of a sudden, all of our issues start to come to light, but no one's really stressed about it because I can't fire them. Uh, I'm not in charge of what's in their contract. I can't demote them in that moment. This is just 
an activity that we're doing. But all of a sudden we start to see who took the lead, who shut down, who had bad body language, who surprised us and had a really great insight in this activity. But the magic happens when we sit down and debrief what just happened. Without a debrief, there's no growth. We cannot assume that we did a puzzle, we learned something. I mean, if you think about, if you sat down with your family or friends on a Friday night and did a puzzle together, does that mean you built a great team? No, did a puzzle together. Yeah. The, the so debrief, the magic that, happens. How would you translate that to um, the workplace? If, if someone, I mean, obviously someone could hire you to facilitate that, but how would you, what's like a tip that you could give an entrepreneur, super busy, juggling, wearing all the hats, all that stuff to really build some, some team integration, better communication, better trust, all of that stuff. Yeah. So, so one of the first things I would say for that person who's wearing all the hats is you've got to bring in a neutral person because you cannot see what is happening when you're wearing all the hats. It, it is just impossible. And even when I was coaching and leading my teams through a lot of this stuff, I was still bringing in people so that I could step back and be a part of the process because as much as we want to think as leaders, I got this, I'm leading, follow me. There are times when we need to, to fall back with the group and learn from the group as well. So that would be one of the first things I would say is, is bringing in a neutral person who can help you as a leader better understand the dynamics and better understand how are you contributing to this process. Because as much as we want to think, I'm only contributing in positive ways, I'm only helping this process as we go through that, we might realize there's some stuff you need to work on as a leader that would exponentially change the experience that your people are having. The second ever, piece I would add to that. Do you ever just recommend people asking their team members, how could I improve? How can I improve as a leader? Yes, but you got to have really healthy culture to get an honest answer. And so there are too many environments where people ask that question because they know their people are going to give them a pat on the back. And so until you all have done some of that hard work and until your people have seen you in the trenches with them, you may not get that honest answer. Um, and, and that kind of that second follow-up piece that I was going to say is really being intentional about the questions that we ask, um, creating an environment where we're asking what, what I would call what Parker Palmer, who's a, a thought leader that I just absolutely love, um, he would call them open and honest questions. And so these are questions that we don't know the answers to. We can't possibly know the answers to. And we're not leading or guiding or moving in a particular direction. One of those. What did you notice? Okay. So we just had a three-hour meeting. Um, what did you all notice in our meeting today? All of a sudden, people might say, well, you, you talked the whole time, Ollie. You talked for three hours. Okay, that's an interesting thing for us to notice. Um, I noticed this guy was on his phone the entire time. Now we're, we're getting to some real stuff. Another would be, um, what would you do if you had more courage? Love it. Um, and so, so really thinking about questions that I would describe them as a facilitator as these are questions that are a gift to you. So they're, they're, you don't owe me anything in answering this, but if I said to you, um, let's say we were in a, a, a really intense debrief and um, I, I had this happen with a client that was just talking about like wanting to do the right thing and loving her people, loving her people, loving her people. And I said, well, what would love have you do? And like instantly you just see the, the tears and the body language. And it wasn't about her giving me a right answer in that moment. It was about her processing that question. And, and if that means she needs to just come back later, <laughs> You don't, you don't owe me an answer, but that could be a powerful question. And so being intentional about what are open and honest questions that we can let people wrestle with, not because they owe us an answer, but because that question is a gift to them. I love it. I love it. So talk to me a little bit about trust issues, because mm -hmm. that's a big one. You know, so often I will see um, an entrepreneur, even if they've been in business for several years, they might just be, they might be going from solo entrepreneur to hiring team and um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of confusion about roles and responsibilities, communications, processes, systems, perfectionism, the level of work that the person has to work at, what is good enough, like, and, and, and it's, 
it's confusing for them. They, and, and, you know, they go into control freak, they go into perfectionism, they go into trust issues, ask me how I know, right? Like that was, that was the first, I would say year of me working with at least a year, you know, of working with team was having to really learn how to communicate, how to, you know, blame the system, not the person, right? And, and to, to really um, understand what's in my head is not necessarily in their head and, and how to communicate all of that. And, but I do think a lot of it had to do with, with trusting um, that, that the job, you know, as a solo entrepreneur, it's been you this whole, whole time. And it's your name, it's your brand, it's your hard work. And you're like, why didn't you dot that I, right? And it's not an egregious mistake. You've made a thousand egregious mistakes yourself, but you're the one who did it, not someone else. So it's a complicated uh, learning curve. How would you, how do you coach someone around that? I have my tools, but how do you coach someone around that? Yeah, I think one of the, the most powerful things we can do as we make that shift and, and as we go from, it's all about me, like I'm the only one that can take care of this to now I've got a team of people, is this shift in thinking or being intentional about not having all the answers? Um, because that's one of the pressures that we face as leaders. Like I, I, it's all on me. I have to have the answer. And I think one of the, the things that we can do is to be intentional with our people about saying, gosh, that is a great question. I don't know the answer, but let's see if we can figure that out together. Um, I, I think it, it pulls other people into the process. It says to them, I trust you to be a part of this. I, I see us as equals in this moment. And it opens up this beautiful moment for someone else to be the hero of the story in that moment. So you imagine a leader sitting in a boardroom and someone says, what are we going to do about this? And you say, I don't know. Does anybody have any thoughts about this? And now all of a sudden the intern who hasn't spoken in six months raises her hand and says, actually, I've, I've been thinking about this and I think I know how we can solve this. And it just changes all the dynamics in that space. But if we as leaders always have to have the answers, always have to provide all the solutions, we deny other people the opportunity to be at their best and to be a part of that process in our culture. Yeah, it's actually stunting growth, which is absolutely counter to the way the universe is designed. It's designed for more life. It's designed for expansion. It's designed for growth. And so if, if in your need to control everything or need to be right or need to be seen in a particular way, you're not allowing other people to help you grow through mm -hmm. their own growth, that is like a big stop sign to, to the universe. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit here. So a lot of my clients are mothers. You know, the brand is the Unstoppable Woman. My, my clients are predominantly women. I have some men behind the scenes, but predominantly women. And many, many of them have kids, sometimes young kids, but also teenage and college kids. Now you've coached extensively high schoolers and college kids. So how, how would you translate how you, you motivated your team, you got them all working on the same page to the family unit. I think that would be so incredibly helpful because here are these women, they're, they're, they're running businesses and they're pulled in a thousand and one different directions just in their business. And then you add partner and family. And it can be like this overwhelmed, place that they get into. And if they could have some tools around helping the whole team, I was speaking particularly to the kids, but maybe to the partner as well, like the whole team, like yeah. moving in the same direction. Um, that I think that would be extraordinarily helpful. So what do you, what do you have for us on that? Yeah, I think it comes back to, I mentioned it earlier about bringing your whole self. And so I think particularly for women and for girls, I, I saw this very much at the high school and college level, this unspoken belief that we can't bring our whole self to anything. Um, either we have weaknesses that we're embarrassed of, and so we wanna hide that, or, and this is a big issue for women, 
culturally, we have strengths that are seen as masculine or are seen as too much, we're too assertive, we're too bossy, we're too in control, we're too much, too much, too much, too much, and we have to dial ourselves back. And so particularly for moms with, with young girls or young women, being intentional about letting them bring their whole self to the family unit, I think is critical. And one of the ways we do that is we have to model that ourselves and we have to be aware what of like, like as the adult and also yeah. as the child, like what is, what is not bringing your whole self and what is bringing your whole self? Like get, give us a real binary black and white kind of example. Yeah. So, so I, I'll go to a, uh, an athletic team that I work with right now, a high level, high profile, elite uh, athletic team. And they have a player who is probably their best player. And she is incredibly passionate. Like when something happens in the game, all of her, like the emotion on her body language, the energy, it's a lot. And what she was told in high school in their first couple of years of college was dial that down. Just dial it down. You're, you're going to get called for fouls. You're going to push the buttons of the referees. Just could you just be a little bit less? And so much of my conversation over the last year has been, do not dial that down, dial it in. We're going to focus. We're going to take all of that passion that you have. And we're going to think about when is the moment in the game that you let that explode in really, really good ways. And it has been so fun to watch her grasp that concept. So less about dial it down and more about how do we focus that? How do we let our strengths be our strengths? Mm -hmm. um, especially when, when it might be a strength that a woman doesn't always have. In her sense, I mean, she plays a lot like a guy. There's just passion and she has timed it right this season. I, I have watched some moments where her energy, enthusiasm, passion is just exploding and her teammates feed off of that. And so she's been told for years, just be less, be less, be less. And I said, no, op open the floodgates and let's just be intentional about where we want to channel that energy. Yeah. So the equivalent for someone with like a very exuberant child would be like, let's, let's put that energy into this instead of yes. it be everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. You are good at that. Dive deep on that. Do not be ashamed that you're good at science and math just because you don't have a lot of friends uh, who are female who are good at science and math. If you're good at that, you've got to dive deep in that. And so I think we, we have to be really aware culturally where we're asking girls and women to be less and to dial it down because it's uncomfortable to have women that are really successful in some specific skill sets. We, we've got to be better about letting people show up in that way. Yeah, that's a big one. For I, I hear a lot from my clients, the fear of success, right? I'm someone who holds like the flag out. I'm, I talk about how much money I make and all of that, like going from low six figures to 700K in one year and crossing the seven figure mark and buying myself nice things and flying first class. And that's my gig, right? I, it's my lane. Someone else can want to spend their money however they want. Like I have no um, agenda around that. But a lot of women have this fear, like it might not be the fear of math and science, though I do have a make love to the numbers meme, like you need to like, you need to like know your numbers. Um, not You don't have to be the, the accountant, but you need to know what your sales are doing, you know, like you need to track on some, some basic level, like the numbers don't lie, know your metrics, it's so good. But I, I'm like, make money, like, like it's good to make money. Let me show you how to make a lot of money. There's like money doesn't buy happiness. Money doesn't buy love, but it can buy a lot of things and a lot of things that lead to your personal freedom. You have to do the inner work with that goes along with that. But a lot of women are ashamed to make more money than their partners, mm -hmm. especially if their partners are men. Mm -hmm. And they're ashamed to make more money than other women yeah. be like, too much. I know that that was the case for me, Molly. You know, when I first started making significant money, I remember hiring housekeepers, right? Mm. For the first time. And I mean, I probably could have hired housekeepers long before, but I didn't think I was worthy of it. But I finally mm. hired housekeepers. And my neighbor, who was a good friend across the street, 
didn't do it with any malice, just did it with a sort of curiosity and a little like she couldn't afford housekeepers kind of energy. Like, oh, you hired housekeepers. And it was like, ouch, am I making someone else feel bad? Do I need to dim my light? And I was versed right. enough in this by that point, luckily, that I was like, no, I don't have to dim my light. But it right. made me think. And I've had that on all sorts of things around yeah. the money side, you know, whether yeah. it's the fancy car or the fancy clothes or whatever it is. Am I making someone else feel bad? And therefore I have to make myself small. And the truth is, if you stay in your lane on the things that light you up, then you are going to be an inspiration to so many more people than the few that you make uncomfortable. Because yes, I do make some people uncomfortable, but I'm making a much bigger impact. Just like that player, I'm envisioning her as a basketball player, but I don't know that she is. Um, <laughs> but that player, when she's passionate like that, she is like enlivening her team and the yes. people watching yes. and all of that. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I remember having a conversation uh, probably in the last month or so with someone. And I said, you know, I sometimes struggle with the fact that I do something new in my business. I feel like I take a step forward. I, I, I go to the next level and I lose some relationships along the way. Like, like some people aren't ready to make that leap with me. And I was struggling with that because there's some people that I really care about that I want to say like, come on, like we can do this. You can do this too. And, and my, I just remember one of my colleagues saying, you know, in those moments, I remind myself, I'm creating a path. And when those people are ready, they'll follow. And so I think there are moments where maybe we do make people where other people feel uncomfortable with success. Yeah. But hopefully at some point they look and say like, ah, she left a path. She left a path for me. And when they're ready, they can pursue whatever that path is for them as well. That reminds me of this great Snoop Dogg video. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but it's a fabulous video. Like he's being interviewed. He's high as a kite, right? He's sitting there just like engulfed in his marijuana puff, okay? And um, someone was asking him about, you know, making the transition from being in the hood to, you know, this mega fame and all the stuff that comes with it. And he was talking about how for years he tried to bring everyone with him. Like he tried to like, bring all the people that all his buddies, um, right, his, his pack with him, but they weren't, you know, giving them jobs, doing things, but they weren't rising to the occasion. And he finally had to let them go. And I call this, you know, the way in my teaching, I work on universal law a lot. And I call it the law of sacrifice. You have to let go of something of a lower nature to allow something of a higher nature to come in. And he was like, I, I tried to save them, but I couldn't. They, they weren't doing the work to be at that new level. And this is like the thing with lottery winners. Like you win all this lottery, but you're still the same person. So you, have, you haven't grown to be the person who can manage that level of money, manage that level of wealth. So you blow it all, right? And this is what he, he you know, as much as he's smoking doobies all day long, right? he's a businessman and he is like, he works hard and he's focused and he knows what he's doing, but his friends weren't doing that work. So anyways, you can find that video. It's hysterical to, to watch, but very insightful. So, okay. So you talk a lot about, I'm going to shift gears here. You talk a lot about light bulb moments. Mm. Tell me what you mean by that. And, and let's make it personal. Tell me what your biggest light bulb moment was. Mm. So for me, a light bulb moment is, some people would call it an aha moment, but it is that moment that it's literally like the light goes on in the room or in your life and you see something for the first time. Like, oh, oh that's why there's tension between me and this person. That's why I'm exhausted when I have to do this task. That's why I've been feeling bad about this. But it's also so incredibly powerful when we have these light bulb moments in the context of our work environments, because we get to witness someone else have their own light bulb moment or others that we care about witness our own light bulb moments. So what was and yours? Is, well, I, I think it, it was probably the decision to leave college coaching. Um, this uh, moment of, of 
so how, how I would describe it is I felt like there was this light off in the distance that at some point near retirement age, I would walk towards that light. And that light was probably the work I'm doing now. I thought this would be my retirement thing, doing personal growth and development. And at some point I realized it wasn't a light off in the distance. It was more like the light on the front of a train and that train was coming at me. And I had to make a choice, jump on board or get out of the way. Like those were my two choices. And I didn't trust that that the train would come around again. Like I knew I could always go back to coaching. You can always go back. You can always go back. But would this excitement, momentum, whatever you want to call it, come around again? And I literally walked into my boss's office and quit and said, I don't even need two weeks. I'll be done in a couple of days. And I just went for it. But it was that moment of realizing this is what I want to do. And this is my skill set. And these are my gifts. And it's all coming at me. And it's either jump on board or get out of the way. You, you can't do both. You can't have a really quick decision there. Oh, you, yeah. You had the, the insight, the light bulb moment. And then you were like, boom, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm yeah. doing it. One I'm of the key, key indicators of successful people is their ability to make quick decisions, you know, and, and experience the result of it. Sometimes it's a right. great you get instant positive feedback. And sometimes you're like, oh, that was maybe right. smart. But you got some sort of feedback and you survived it and right. you go again. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. I've heard uh, you do a lot of personality assessments. I've heard of the Myers Briggs. I think most people have heard of Myers Briggs. I don't want to spend a lot of time there because I love it, but I've never heard of Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument. What a mouthful. But um, what is it and how do you use it? Yeah, so that is uh, an assessment to understand what is your default conflict style. There are five different conflict styles. And for me, it's a really helpful tool in working with a group because every group has conflict, like every group, <laughs> There's, it's always there. How we navigate it will determine the quality of our experiences. And so using that tool to help people understand in conflict, this is my default mode, really what, what's my agenda in conflict and understanding how everybody else in the room has a different mode all of a sudden changes it from, I can't stand that guy to, oh, we have two different approaches to conflict. And now that I can name what his or her conflict style is, and now that I have an understanding of my conflict style, we're better able to navigate those moments. So it's a little bit less, you know, a, a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram or Strengths Finder will kind of tell you this is who you are. With this particular instrument, it tells you more your default, but there is a very firm belief that you can choose to use other conflict styles. We just have a default. And so when what we build is, this awareness. Example, what is an example of a conflict style? Can you name like one or two so that people- Yeah, avoidance. Avoidance okay. would be one. Okay. So I'm, I'm not even willing to engage in this conflict. I'm gonna shut you down. I'm gonna ignore your emails. I'm going to have nothing to say in the meeting on the topic. I'm going to avoid it at all costs. The opposite of that would be what would be called competing, which is we got to power through this. So you've got one person who sees conflict as a competition. We got to get through this. We, there's an agenda. Let's, let's win this conflict. And you've got another one that wants to avoid it. That's tough space. That's really tough space. But when we can depersonalize the fact that it's not him or her, being a horrible person, it's just our conflict styles are different and, and build an awareness of, okay, if we both shift our conflict styles, so like collaboration would be another conflict style. Can we both get to that place versus being rooted in these two really opposite strategies? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I love that. I know where I stand on that. <laughs> Which one do you think I am? <laughs> you know? okay. I'm going to avoid I'm going to avoid the answer. <laughs> okay. So before I get to my final three questions that I have for you, I know that you have a virtual event coming up. Why don't you share a little bit about that and how people can find you and more information about that? I'd love it. I'd love it. So the easiest place to find me is my website, which is mollygrisham.com. All my social media handles are there. All my events are hosted there. 
But in late February, I have an event called the Inward Experience, and we're doing it as a virtual retreat. And so I launched the Inward Experience uh, during COVID, and it was really out of a sense that people were saying, I need some time to go inward. I need to focus on me. I need to think about me. But how do I do that when I'm not around anybody else? How does, what does that look like? And I think there's so much power in doing interpersonal work in the context of a small community. So I've been offering that event as a two-hour event. And the feedback has been, could you do this as a retreat? Like, we want more time with it. So it's a lot of work in cohorts of four. So we'll meet as a large group. We'll take 16 people for the retreat. Um, we'll get to know each other. We'll understand who's in the room. We'll build some relationships. And then I'll give what's called a, what I would call a core question. And I'll give some interactive tools and processes that people will go through to unpack that core question. Everything is experiential. We're doing all kinds of activities, even though we're not in the same space. And then they go off to their cohorts and unpack there. And then we come back to the large group and hear about insights and observations. And then we do another core question. Uh, this is really critical for me this time of year because I think a lot of us struggle in winter with the darkness and kind of the dormancy of winter, but also because we've kind of been in social distancing for about a year. And I think it's really an important season in our lives to come together with people and unpack some really healthy stuff. Who is it perfect for? Is it perfect for the person who's leading a team in a corporation? Is it perfect, perfect for a stay-at-home mom? Who's it perfect for? Give me, give me like the, the avatar. Well, uh, we are all over the map on who's signed up. We've got therapists, we've got business owners, we've got athletic directors, we've got teachers who have signed up. To me, it is anyone who says, I think there's more in me. I think there's some stuff brewing and I need some space pack that with other people who have the same mindset. Um, what I love about the process is every time they come back from their breakout rooms, because I'm not there, they're shaking their heads like, we had no idea this could happen with strangers, that this quickly we could open up and do what I would call holding up mirrors for each other. So to me, business leaders who say, I want to be better for my business, yes. Uh, a, a parent who has been um, doing teaching from home all year, they've suddenly become the teacher who has forgotten who they are. Yes, absolutely. Someone who's thinking there's something next for them and needs to figure out what's going on inside. Yes. If, if it's someone that wants to do interpersonal work, I would love to have them be a part of that experience. Okay. Fantastic. So we'll put those links on the show Great. notes as well. Great. Okay. So moving into the final wrap up on my last three questions for you. What is a belief that you used to hold that you've shifted that has specifically impacted your business? Mm. I, I think my mindset around how to scale my business has changed. Um, and, and a big part of that, this has probably been the biggest shift in the last year, is how do I manage schedule? Um, I used to feel like to have the greatest impact, I have to be fully accessible. And so everyone had access to my calendar and I didn't block my calendar at all. And it was like, if people need me, I need to be there for people. And what that ultimately did was it limited my ability to scale because I was at the mercy of what everyone else needed versus me being really intentional about how to build my business. And so I've gone back and put some some systems in place to block my schedule and own my time and understand that in order for me to show up for people, there are things I have to take care of in my business. And when those things are taken care of, I can be more present for people. Yeah. So that belief would be that it's okay to say no, or it's okay to have boundaries, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great. How do you continue to learn and grow and stay on the top of your game? Mm. So I take my own advice and I do a whole lot of retreats um, as a participant. I, I think it would be really unhealthy for me and, and inauthentic for me to offer retreats to people when I'm not doing that same work myself. And, and so for me, I'm always thinking about what's another organization I can sign up for a retreat with? Um, where can I go for three or four days where you're not allowed to take your phone and you have to like do that interpersonal work? But if I'm not doing that myself, my, my own growth will be stunted and I won't be able to offer my people what I want to offer them. I love it. I love it. 
Okay, final question. And then I have a, a few reflections for you. Okay. What makes you an unstoppable woman? Mm. Um, I think a big part of it is the people that I choose to be a part of my community, that um, you, are, you are only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And I think the older I get in life, the more intentional I am about who I do and don't want in my life. And what do those parameters look like? There are there are some people in my life that it's just purely a business relationship. It's transactional. They, they pay me and I do work for them. But then there's my inner circle of friends that I'm going to show up for forever and they're going to do the same for me. And having those people be a part of my journey, those people that I can say like, had I had a big win today and I know they're going to celebrate that win or I lost a contract. <laughs> mm -hmm. Having that core circle that's going to respond the same way and be invested in me the same way, regardless of whether it's the big win or the big loss, I uh, think is what, what sets me up for success every day. I love it. I love it. Great answer. So I want to thank you, Molly, for being on our show and for sharing such great tips and being so transparent with us about the way you approach the, not just you know, the way you coach or the way you facilitate, but also the way you think about your own life and how you show up. It's really, I think it's really important for people to, to see women walking their talk, not being perfect, but walking their talk and really demonstrating what they believe in. And it's so clear that you believe in people. Yeah. That you, you believe that if you feed people, they will feed you. And especially your last comment about what makes you unstoppable is a beautiful testament to that. Yeah. So thank you for doing your work in this world. And I so appreciate you being on the, the show today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. You're welcome. And that's a wrap. Hey there, my friend. Do you resonate with what you just heard? Then head over to our free resource page and get more of our good stuff, including our free Unstoppable Woman playbook and money breakthrough system. You'll find that and more at theunstoppablewoman.com slash free stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and I'll see you in the next episode.